0: Mark chapter 10, we're at the end of the chapter, really at the end of a major section uh, in the gospel. This morning we come to the end of the middle portion of Mark's gospel. started in chapter 8, it goes through chapter 10. uh, And in these chapters, these three chapters, Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. Although at the end of the chapters he's going to be uh, arrested and crucified, Jesus in this section is driving forward with resolution on a death march to the city of Jerusalem. Uh, with his disciples and some others following him. Our story this morning, Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52, will take place in the city of Jericho, a city uh, that one would reach just before entering the outskirts of Jerusalem. Jesus is now within one day's journey of reaching Jerusalem, the place where he will be arrested and crucified. As we get into this story, Mark 10, 46 through 52, this morning, uh, the way to understand the story is to uh, understand the significance of two main characters. Uh, If you think of uh, different works of literature, and I I have to confess, uh, not my area of strength, but uh, I do like reading, but uh, for the last eight years or so, I've only read PhD stuff. So, um, you know, but if you get into literature, uh, I I think uh, someone could tell you that in order to understand certain stories, you need to understand Uh, main characters in the stories Uh, one that came to mind immediately this morning was Romeo and Juliet because if you're going to understand this story you're gonna have to understand who Romeo is and who Juliet is okay in this true story of the son of God there are two main characters that we are going to see and be introduced to one we've seen all throughout the gospel and the other arrives on the scene here for the first time I want to read the whole story with you. I'll read Mark ten forty six through 52. Why don't you follow along there in your Bibles. It says, and they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Oh God, I bring before you the prayer that we just sang. Oh God, reveal your glory through the preaching of your word, until every heart confesses that Jesus is Lord. Lord, we know for this to be true of those who are gathered here together, this entire assembly of people, it will require a work, a significant work of your spirit. And so we ask unashamedly, unapologetically, that every heart here would confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We pray that you would do this for your own significance and worth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we come to this story, I said there are two characters you need to uh, be introduced to. The first one is uh, found in verses 46 through 48 primarily. The first character we come across is a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. This this story sets up so well. Uh, Jesus is with a crowd of people they're following him through Jericho. He's been in Jericho. Now as he's leaving Jericho. Uh, but the focus of the story will not be upon the crowds, the multitude of people who are gathering with, with Jesus. Instead, Mark, the gospel writer, introduces an obscure man, a blind beggar, who is marginalized and sidelined by the people of the city of Jericho. The text says that this man is by the roadside begging. The people of Jericho had then not only neglected this man, but at a key point in the story, they attempt to silence him and his cries to Jesus for help. And so I want to look a little bit more at this blind man. The blind beggar's name is Bartimaeus, which literally means son of Timaeus. You see that little three letters bar on the front of a name like this? It means son of. Okay, so he's the son of Timaeus. We don't know why uh, Bartimaeus' name is given, or the name of his father Timaeus is given. Uh, It is interesting to me, however, as I came to this text, one of the interesting things I observed, one scholar said this. He said, Bartimaeus is in fact the only person healed in the synoptic gospels whose name is given. I think that Mark is intending to emphasize this story. It's a short little story. You say, well, what can you get from the story? Short little story, but he gives the name of the individual because Bartimaeus is going to represent an ideal follower of Jesus Christ. There have been other people who have been given the opportunity throughout Mark 8, 9, and 10, but Bartimaeus will become a follower of Jesus. The story here demonstrates how Jesus chose to treat those who were outcasts, poor, and disabled in the culture around him. Uh, This week, as I was preparing, I wondered what Jesus' actions would teach us about how we should treat homeless people in our cities and communities. I remember as a young man growing up in the country, uh, I was once given a crash course uh, by one of my friends on how to treat beggars right before we went into a city. Honestly, I hadn't had much exposure to this before, and so he's just teaching me you know, what to do. His, his basic advice at that point was to ignore them. And uh, honestly, for years, I, I thought that this was a wise way to go about this. Uh, he said, just kind of let them alone because, one, They'll never be satisfied with whatever amount of help that you give to them. And two, they will likely turn whatever resources you give to them into alcohol or some other drugs, so just walk by them. So I reflected upon that counsel today, this week, however. I wondered what Jesus would have to say about it. I think it's good for us men and women to put significant thought into our approach to the homeless, to the disabled to those who are outcasts in culture. Perhaps you simply followed the advice that someone gave to you when you were young without comparing it to Scripture. Now, that's not going to work for us, though, right? Right, because we are text people, right? So the text says we're going to follow. So from this text, I want to make a few suggestions about our approach to the homeless before we get introduced to the second character. You probably figured out who that is. First, I want to suggest that we must not treat those with disabilities with any measure of insensitivity. I'll say it again. We must not treat those with disabilities with any measure of insensitivity. We must not cast rude glances at them or, God forbid, scold or challenge them to be silent or less intrusive into our lives. In other words, I say, don't be like the townspeople with Bartimaeus. And he kept people are made in God's image as Im- image bearers. They deserve then our love, respect, and care and concern. And so let's build that into the fabric of how we treat those who are down and out. Secondly, though, I would say this believers should follow Christ's example and approach to the homeless. Okay, now we can't do everything that he did, right? Like heal. But isn't it legitimate to say we should follow the example of Jesus? You know, like as I'm comparing these two pieces of advice, I've given advice from a, a, you know, a, a young man. When I was a young man, i am given advice from Jesus. I'm gonna go with Jesus and the way he approached this man here. Jesus ministered to the homeless time and time again offering them spiritual guidance and physical care. And so when we connect with homeless in our culture, may we take the opportunity to treat them with Christ-like concerns for their physical well-being. By that I mean their warmth, their health, their hunger, and their spiritual salvation. We we should be concerned about their spiritual salvation, perhaps ultimately so. So instead of looking the other direction, walking down the other side of the street, and pressing forward without flinching, we must follow Jesus here. Jesus' concern for the man I think can be seen throughout the next section when we're introduced to the second main character, Verses 48, in the middle of verse 48 through verse 52, we, we were introduced to Jesus, son of David. And so let me read those verses for you again, right in the middle of verse 48. It says, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind men saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Here Bartimaeus is completely undeterred in his cries for help. He's desperate and he's not going to let the insensitive demands of the townspeople stop him from proclaiming his need to Jesus. It's this point in the story, though, that I want to slow down a bit, and I want to actually look very carefully at some of the words that Jesus uses here, and even some of the words that Bartimaeus uses so that we can fully grasp what's going on. We start with Bartimaeus's cry in verse 48. His cry out to Jesus is simple, but it has two parts. He ascribes a title to Jesus, and then he makes his request. I want to look at both of these. Uh, First, we look at the, the title that he gives to Jesus, This is a new title in Mark's gospel, one that has not been used to this point. It's Jesus, Son of David. And I want us to ask for for a second, you know, if this isn't something that's used frequently in Mark's gospel, why would Bartimaeus call Jesus Son of David? What's he driving at or what's leading him to do so? I want to suggest that this title is something that Bartimaeus would have learned or heard often in the Old Testament scriptures. Okay, so I think that the background for this is the Old Testament Scripture. And I'll give you just a few texts where I think this is the case. You don't need to turn there. For sake of time, we'll just see it on the slide behind me. But 2 Samuel chapter 7 is an important text in the Old Testament where Jesus is making a covenant with David, the Davidic covenant. And in this covenant, Jesus or uh, God, I should say, promises David several important things, But especially here in these verses, he promises him that a son will come from David who will rule over the people of this world forever. 2 Samuel 7, verse 12 says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, this is God to David, I will raise up your offspring after you. Uh, Who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So, this title, Son of David, that Bartimaeus would use is a messianic title. It's about the future Messiah that God would send to set up and to reign and rule in Jerusalem. This is about Jesus, the Son of God, and so when Bartimaeus uses the title, I believe that he he thinks Jesus is Messiah. He's David's son. There's another thing, though. I think that another truth. I think that this uh, teaches uh, this title teaches in the Old Testament. And that's Son of David. I think also speaks of the nature of the Messiah. Look with me at this text: Ezekiel 34: 23 and 24. It says, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be the prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I think with this text and texts like it, I mean, there are other texts like this. I've just given you one. Okay, there are multiple Old Testament texts that talk about the son of David, saying when the son of David comes, he will be a particular type of Messiah. He will be merciful. He will feed you. He will shepherd you. He will care for the poor and the outcast. I mean, I could go to other texts that would say the son of David will care for poor and outcasts. So Bartimaeus cries out to Jesus, perhaps with this understanding, and he calls him, Son of David, Merciful Messiah. In other words, Merciful Messiah. So with this title, the man Bartimaeus understands that Jesus is the Messiah who will bring mercy, and Jesus does not silence him like all the others before Early part of the gospel, Mark 1, 2, 3 and throughout, we saw that Jesus kept telling people, be quiet about my identity. The messianic secret, you might hear it called in some places, but here no longer, here no longer is that the case. He doesn't tell them to be quiet, he just accepts the title and the, uh, that's ascribed to him. As a matter of fact, it's interesting to me that the very next event in the gospel, Mark 11, is when Jesus uh, goes in his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It's interesting to me what they called him. So down in your Bible, maybe flip one page to Mark 11. And I want to just give you a few verses here, Mark 11:9 9, and 10. We're actually going to cover them next week. This is Mark 11:9, 9. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. So it's very interesting to me, in Mark's gospel, the person that introduces this concept that Jesus will be the merciful son of David is blind Bartimaeus. In the next narrative, the crowds are shouting this, blessed is he who comes. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. I think they picked this up from him. So now there's no league. No, no longer need for silence, it's nearly time for the Messiah to be lifted up on a cross. And so this title catches on in Mark's gospel. But There's one other uh, thing I want to show you about his ascription. Go back to verse 48, Mark 10, 48, and let's see uh, this title that he gives. He says, son of David, but then he asks a request. This is the second part of uh, his instruction. He says, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. As, as I was thinking about that, you know, I think I was thinking, this is probably just a normal way, right, for a poor beggar to appeal and to cry out to someone else, have mercy on me, help me. One of the interesting things for me is I just did a very quick study of the word mercy. In the Old Testament, I found out that this blind beggar is, re- is repeating a phrase that is actually all throughout the Greek version of the Hebrew Bible, all throughout the Septuagint. In fact, I found it. I just looked at the Psalms, and I I found this exact same phrase 18 times in the Psalms. And typically, the way it goes is the psalmist is in uh, he's in a a difficult situation. Someone like David, he needs someone to rescue him in the midst of the struggle, and so he says, "Have mercy on me." Now, sometimes it's translated, "Be gracious to me." But to show you just a few of these. in the text, Psalm six two at the top. You can read them behind me. It says, Be gracious to me, or have mercy on me, O Lord, for I'm languishing. Psalm nine, verse thirteen, be gracious to me, O Lord, or have mercy on me. Go to the next one, Psalm twenty-five, verse sixteen. Turn to me and and be gracious to me, or have mercy on me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Psalm twenty-five, sixteen. Psalm 26, 11, but as for me, I shall walk in my integrity, redeem me, and have mercy on me. Be gracious to me. Psalm 27, verse 7, hear, O Lord, when I cry out, I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. And then Psalm 30, and verse 10, hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. So I ask, where did Bartimaeus learn this ex- expression? He learned it from the Old Testament. Perhaps he was taught this as a blind beggar. He was taught some pieces of the Old Testament scripture, but he, he cries out. He cries out, and he uses the words that the psalmist would use in his Bible, the, the words that the psalmist would use to cry out to Yahweh, to God. And so with, that, with with this understanding of the true nature of the blind man's request, I want to go back to the story and see what happens. You go to verse 49, and after hearing this man's Incessant shouts, Jesus does something that readers are just not prepared for. Verse 49, and Jesus stopped and said. Jesus stops, this could be literally translated, and Jesus stood still. It's amazing when you consider what's going on in Mark chapter 10 just before this. Remember verse 32? And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking out ahead of them. Now the gospel says he was walking with resolution. He's on this death march to the city, not flinching. He's continuing on. But now his progress is halted. In the midst of a long stride and quick pace, Jesus stops and he demands for the crowds to bring the man to him. This is just vivid detail in the story. That's when we see something that should bring a smile to our face in verse 50. This did not need to be included by Mark. but just helps us capture a little bit more of the story. It says uh, his response, And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. Here Bartimaeus jumps up, comes running to Jesus. He, he comes to Jesus and he, he's done this having thrown off his coat. His coat would be his outer cloak that would be used for warmth at night, perhaps even to collect the money. That he'd be begging, he, he takes it off and leaves it there. He no longer has need for this coat anymore. I think that's best to see verse 50. These responses is all coming as spontaneous acts of joy. The man's been blind, he's a beggar, he's got no way to care for himself, and they tell him, the son of David wants to talk with you. Take heart. So he jumps up. Goes to Jesus, finds his way to him, and then Jesus asked him a familiar question, verse 51. Does that sound familiar to you, that question, verse 51? What do you want me to do for you? If you're reading, I know sometimes we take a long time in between sermons, right? And then we break up little sections, but if you're reading through Mark 10, you will have already heard that question before. The same exact question. What do you want me to do for you? It was the question that Jesus asked James and John. Remember, Jesus predicts his own death, and then they fail. They say, Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we want. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? In this sense, though, at this point, I think that Jesus finally receives a worthy answer. A worthy answer. When the two whole, advantaged people, James and John, heard this question come from Jesus, they asked for self-glory. They asked for reserved seats in the kingdom. One at your left, one at your right. When a disabled beggar hears this question, he simply asks to be ordinary. Rabbi, my rabbi, would that I had received my sight. Two men come to Jesus full and comfortable. The solitary man cries out to Jesus in desperation. So, although the certainty of the cross is pressing on Jesus and on his mind, he stops, he hears the man's request. And he heals him. He says, "Go, go your way. Your faith has made you whole." See that in the text there? "Go your way. Your faith has made you well." I just want to stop here, and I just want to reflect upon, before I look at that answer, just how loving Jesus is and how much of a sacrificial act this is, as I was considering it this week, I mean, Bartimaeus does not even understand where Jesus is going. Bartimaeus doesn't understand that he's intruding into Jesus' life at a very important and trying time in his life. I mean, if he only knew that the satanic host was lining up to get Jesus. If he only knew that one day later Jesus would arrive in Jerusalem and the events of his trial, arrest, crucifixion would begin. If he only knew. But he doesn't. And Jesus doesn't even tell him. He just stops and he heals him. He heals this man and kindly encourages him to go his way. Now, Jesus' words to Bartimaeus, I think, are worthy of reflection as well. I mean, Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Those words, has made you well, reflect one word that could be translated healed or in many cases in the New Testament, when I come across this word, it, you just translate it, saved. Saved. I think what Jesus is saying with blind Bartimaeus is that your faith, your belief in me, that I can do this, uh, has not only healed you physically, but spiritually. You are saved. You are saved. I think the main reason that Mark might include him here in this place in the narrative is the very last phrases of verse 52. It's my opinion. It says, And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Uh, here in the blind man's response in verse 52, Mark emphasizes something that I want to show you. I want to dig a b- bit deeper into this response, into, especially into this phrase, and followed him on the way. Here, although Jesus tells Bartimaeus to go his own way, Go your own way. He actually gets in line and he follows Jesus on the way. Now, this is more significant than I think it might first appear. So I want to show you this. Okay, You remember Mark 8 8 through 10, middle section, is about a journey to Jerusalem. We know this because of the geographical cities that are listed. If you actually pay attention, it starts way outside of Jerusalem. He starts making his way closer and closer to the city. Another way you know that this is a journey to Jerusalem is a phrase that's repeated throughout the chapters. I haven't said anything about it to this point. But the phrase is, on the way. On the way. And I just want to show it to you in a few places. Look at Mark eight twenty-seven. Mark eight twenty-seven. This is uh, near the very beginning of the middle section of Mark's gospel where he's saying, I'm going to journey to Jerusalem. Mark 8, 27, and Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi and on the way, I just want you to kind of mark that, keep keep that in your mind, on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? All throughout this section, Mark has Jesus on the way to Jerusalem, carrying on conversations with the disciples and so on. Here he's in Caesarea Philippi and on the way, he has this instruction with them. Then go to Mark chapter 9, verses 33 and 34. I'll show it to you there as well. Mark 9, 33. It says, and they came to Capernaum. See, they're making their way to Jerusalem. They came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? On the way, same phrase. But they kept silent for on the way, same phrase, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. i go over to Mark 10 and verse 32. I want to show it to you there. Here you might not see it as easily in the, the ESV Bible that you have in front of you. But in the original, it's the same exact phrase. Mark ten thirty two, And they were on the way, on the road, going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And they were on the way. They're on the way to Jerusalem. Now look at the end of Mark 50, uh, Mark ten fifty two again. Very end of that verse, and followed him on the way. So Bartimaeus joins Jesus on the way and follows him to Jerusalem. And men and women following, even that that word, following Jesus is the ideal way for Mark of saying that someone has become a true follower and disciple of Jesus. Jesus. Blind Bartimaeus, the beggar, is actually the first person healed in the gospel who joins Jesus and begins to travel with him on the way. let go through this text and say this is just such a beautiful picture in my mind of what God can do with someone who is insignificant by the world's standards. Earlier in this chapter, in the same chapter here, Jesus met someone who could be looked upon as being an ideal recruit of the kingdom. Remember, the rich, young ruler. He had everything. Wealth, strength, power, the rich, young ruler. He was admirable, respectable, and wealthy. This blind beggar has none of those things. None. Yet, as one commentator, R.T. France, writes, and I just love this, I'll read it to you twice, I think it's so powerful. He said, the blind beggar represents the recruitment of the least likely disciple, the little one who is welcomed, the last who became first. Recruitment of the least likely disciple, the little one who is welcomed, the last who became first. As we consider the, the relevance of the story of Bartimaeus in this gospel, in this important section of the book, as we consider its relevance for today, I want to say that God wants every person here this morning to identify with Bartimaeus. Perhaps you've heard Bartimaeus' story today and you resonate with him. You feel little, insignificant by the world standard. I say, that might be a good thing. Won't you, though, then have faith and follow Jesus as well? We've got nothing in our own strength. We've got sin. We cannot solve things in our own strength. Won't you join Jesus in following him today? If you hope to be accepted by God and not to be severely punished for your sin, you must decide to follow Jesus on the way. So, what choice will you make today? Will you follow him or will you go your own way and face the punishment of God? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we close. It's been my prayer for the people who'd be under the sound of my voice this morning that every heart here might be able to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So, as we close, before the busyness occurs again, in silent prayer, I would encourage any of you in this room who are not a follower of Jesus, I encourage you in this way. You must do two things. You must believe and repent. You must believe in the Davidic, the divine son of David, who came to this planet, lived a perfect life, died, at the hands of cruel men and women who punished him unjustly. But then three days later, rose again by the power of God. Men and women, Jesus did this to take our place, to bear the penalty of our sin, God's wrath upon the cross. And so if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you with all of my heart that you must believe, you must have faith that Jesus came, lived, died, and rose again for your sin. And I also appeal to you that you would repent of your sin. You'd turn from your sin. Say, I don't want this sin anymore. I want to join Jesus on the way. Like this blind beggar insignificant little, but I want to join Jesus. I encourage you to do that now. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the story of blind Bartimaeus. Lord, being surrounded by Christian brothers and sisters in this room, I know that we can all resonate with this story For we were blinded spiritually. We had nothing to offer you that you would accept. We were all hopeless, blind beggars. Until one day you allowed us to see the beauty of Jesus. Lord, may Bartimaeus remind us, that he remind us of what an ideal follower looks like. An ideal follower gets on the way and follows Jesus. As so we close out this section, three chapters where Jesus just goes on and on and on about what it really costs to be a follower, I pray that we would again commit to following Christ in you. We pray this and pray that you would significantly work in hearts and lives. We trust you. We've asked you to do it. We pray for anyone here who does not know Jesus as their Savior, who is not a follower. but We pray that today would be the day where they would they would decide to be like Bartimaeus, to cry out to God for his mercy, and then to rejoice, to rejoice at what you've done, and then join Jesus on the way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.